Hi crew and welcome back to the Beercast. It is your host here, James Rankin. This week I'm very excited to have Carl Powley on the show with me. Carl is someone um, I've looked up to as a coach for maybe a decade. He first became well known in the CrossFit sphere through his gymnastics and how he he simplified these really complex ideas and uh, young coaches like myself absolutely jumped on his content as I still do. Uh, me and Carl sat down and we spoke about not about gymnastics, but about what he's working on now, which he likes to call emotional fitness. This was a really, really fun episode for me with someone I've looked up to for a long time. Uh, hopefully I don't come across too much as a fangirl in this one because that's how it felt throughout some of it. As always, team, if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow the show on your chosen platform. And as always, if you enjoy it, please, please, please let us know. Let us know on social media, share it with your friends, all that good stuff. That's all from me, team. Please enjoy the show. Carl, welcome to the Buacast. How are you, my man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So excited to have you on. Carl, just for those who maybe don't know, you've been in the CrossFit space, in and out of it for a long, long, long time. Can you give us just an elevator pitch as to who you are and what you do and what you have done? Yeah, within the CrossFit space, I came in as somebody who was talking about gymnastics applied to CrossFit and specifically what was different between say me and my teachings and that, which was the, we could call it traditional CrossFit gymnastics approach was that I was talking about movement in general. And what I mean by this is that I was trying to identify what the specific gymnastics movements within CrossFit were with the intention of creating transferability of skills Uh, the ability to have a foundation that would carry over into your weightlifting, into your uh, cardiovascular training, whether it's uh, your endurance, running, rowing, uh, jump roping, whatever it may be, in a way that you you were mechanically sound, you were uh, strong in your capacity to move, and you had the ability to learn new things. And uh, that's that's how I approached it when I first got into CrossFit, which was 2007, 2008. Wow which was, uh, I guess, relatively early on. There have been like small generations within it. I think you said 2013 for you. But yeah, uh, 2007, 2008, uh, gymnastics was already happening, but I could see that there was something missing, which was the connection between movements. And, And it was missing because I think people didn't realize that what was happening at the time is that they were creating a new fitness discipline, that they were creating a new way of expressing themselves physically, and that there were going to be signature movements coming out of uh, the CrossFit way of, of, of moving. And uh, some of those signature movements are kipping muscle-ups, our butterfly pull-ups, our thrusters, uh, our uh, burpees performed in a, in a certain fashion, uh, pistols performed in a certain way. And these signature movements, these CrossFit movements, these CrossFit specific movements, like a, a kettlebell swing overhead, that's not something that you do in, in traditional kettlebell uh, practice. All these signature movements were um, a code, a language that when you could see it and uh, speak it, you could uh, make big changes in your own practice and uh, assist others in doing the same. So that's that's what I did. And I started creating content. I started contributing to the CrossFit Journal. Uh, I, I started a, 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 a website uh, inspired by Mobility Wad, Kelly Starrett, who uh, was my mentor at the time at San Francisco CrossFit. Uh, and through Gymnastics Wad, I was able to tap into hundreds of thousands. I, I think we, w- we got to a point where we had a million users at, wow. at one point, which was big. And <laughs> uh, so it got a little crazy there for a second. Um, I wrote a book called Freestyle. Uh, you can see it right there. Great uh, book. We have that in the gym. Yeah. And we use it all the time. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and I'm very proud of that. It's uh, It's been out for eight years now. And, and every week I get at least a few messages with people uh, commenting on the book or anything that I wrote in it and asking questions. So it's something that lives on forever. And I'm, I'm so glad I did that. And uh, now since the release of, of Freestyle, which was in 2014, a year after you got into wow. CrossFit, I decided to make a a gentle but deliberate move from uh, working on gymnastics specific uh, 
programming and coaching to uh, focusing on what I call emotional fitness these days. And uh, that is what I currently dedicate 98, 99% of my time. Wow. We're going to get into the emotional fitness thing. I want to tap in before we get there, though, on that idea of skill transfer that you mentioned. And and you noticed like that relationship between gymnastics and weightlifting. You noticed it before anyone else did. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I noticed it before anybody else, but go ahead. Ask the question. Let's see. So from my perspective, maybe you didn't notice it first, but you're one of the first people to talk about it in a very public manner. Like you put it in your YouTube videos and those like I still refer back to the times when you talk about the kip and how it relates to the extension in cleans and snatches and that sort of or box jumps and all that sort of stuff. And I still use that type of language when I coach. But you were the, one of the first, from my perspective, one of the first people to talk about it and notice it. How did you, the lens that you look at that stuff through, where did that come from? That coaching eye of being able to go, ah, this and this is this. Yeah, that, that great question. And, and you, you are right. And I'll take credit for, I was the one who was speaking about it the most. Yeah. And I was trying to make it uh, as accessible and relevant as possible. And I was showcasing it through all uh, a great variation of movement patterns. Yeah. So, uh, yes, and I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that it has landed with you and, and that I took the risk to do that. Because when I first started talking about it, people, people thought, nobody cares, Carl. <laughs> Just teach them the technique. Nobody cares about transferability. And uh, I just had this belief that. Uh, if you knew how to connect things, you would be uh, able to learn quicker. Yeah, That was just my sense. And it, it did uh, pay off because once I started implementing this in my programming and, and applying it to, to athletes and their performance, uh, it started to carry over. And, and a great example was during the uh, CrossFit Games, I, I believe it was 2011. Yeah, 2011 CrossFit Games. It was uh, the event that had the clean and jerk ladder and rope climbs where Annie Thor's daughter, uh, when she was climbing the rope, that was her recovery versus all the other athletes. They were struggling. Yeah. And the uh, style for climbing the rope that I, I taught her and, and worked with her on uh, was one that came from her ability to perform butterfly pull-ups, kipping pull-ups really well, uh, from understanding basic gymnastics movements, and then showcasing a way that she could climb the rope uh, that was going to be effortless a recovery piece for her. And, and that really stood out. And the few who have um, a trained eye in, in movement could see that she was doing something very different. And that subtle little change uh, helped her set herself apart. And it gave me also the uh, ability to recognize that what I was talking about had some meaning. And the question is, uh, where does that come from? Well, it comes from sucking. It comes from being really bad at something. And this is me as a kid being a terrible gymnast relative to my uh, teammates and realizing that I had to look at movement from a different perspective. I had to look at my training from a different perspective. And the different perspective for me was in seeing beauty. And one of my obsessions was watching film. And I would watch film. I mean, I remember being six, seven, eight, watching the recordings that my parents uh, had of uh, my gymnastics practice, of us going skiing, whatever it was that had to do with movement, and me watching it frame by frame. And not only watching my own uh, movement, but also watching the my competitors or the the gymnasts that I admired. And I liked to see these different positions. It's as if I was looking for still images. And then in my own practice, what I was doing was trying to mimic those. Right. And this, as my gymnastics career evolved and I eventually transitioned into action sports and started getting into snowboarding and wakeboarding, I started to do the same there. And there I started to see that you could break the rules to create new movement patterns, new signatures. And I started to do the same. I simply looked for what were the images. And within that, I started to realize that every single movement had these master positions. And these master positions, once you identify them, became like a blueprint 
for you to be able to uh, create whatever you wanted to do. And as long as you could showcase those master positions to people, now people had a place to anchor themselves in how they were moving, feel how they were moving, and thus make changes. And that's kind of how it started. And I was just um, very lucky. And, and I was thinking actually about this yesterday. I was very lucky to find or be in the CrossFit space when I was, because otherwise nothing of what I had done had made sense. Wow. And uh, yeah, I basically won the lottery um, being where I was uh, at that time with the knowledge that I had. Amazing. I love how you started that with it's because I sucked. That's, I feel like a lot of good teachers and coaches come from a, a fairly similar background of yeah, sucking. I was going to say inadequacy, but it doesn't really f- fill the, the space right properly. But I, I've heard a lot of people say similar kind of stuff and have similar stories. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. I like yeah, and, and, and I still feel like I suck right now. I have, I have, I have, I have terrible, I have terrible self-talk. I, I can be very self-deprecating. I, I can have low confidence, but I don't give up. Yeah. I, I, I don't allow myself to quit. And sometimes I've thought that I've quit, but in reality, what I'm really doing is, is going inward yeah. and trying to refine my thinking, trying to refine uh, my position, right? I try to refine the way that I can connect with others and patiently. And this is what I'm doing right now. And I'll share this just very openly is I've been struggling to find my groove at, the, at this moment, because the, that which I'm talking about, although it's relevant to people, it's not timely yet. It's not there yet. It doesn't make as much sense as it made back in 2008, 9, 10 to talk about burpees, pull-ups, squats, uh, movement mechanics uh, for better performance within the CrossFit space. It, right now, it just doesn't, um, it doesn't uh, align with where the collective is. Yeah. So I'm patiently just waiting here, getting ready. I'm like, I will pounce when, when the time is right. In the meantime, I'm just preparing. I like it. And I'm preparing because I know that I can be better. And I know that we as a collective can be better, but the time has to be right to be able to, to engage. Yeah. How do you find that waiting period then? Are you, would you be quite a patient person or do you find that hard? I think I'm extremely patient. Although, you know, like anybody, if, if you're scrolling on Instagram or TikTok or so, social media, you're probably not as patient as you think. Yeah. And the reason is because when you're scrolling, you're seeking for something. The question is, what are you looking for? I, for example, am looking to find an opening. That's something that I'm always looking for. I'm looking to see, oh, this here is where I can uh, lay my head to rest or this is where I can plant my feet. But it never shows up. And the reason is because we are the only ones, we meaning the individual, the self, are the only ones who can create that space for ourselves. Thus, the question is, uh, are you patient? Yes. Are you deploying your patience in the right place and at the right time? For me, if I'm on TikTok for two hours, it's a no. (laughs) 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 Thus, I have to change it. Yeah. I love it. What space are you looking for? Hmm. That's giving me a bit of food for thought going forward. Definitely. Hmm. Um, the emotional coaching and yeah. the, the interface. Hmm. Tell me everything. I'm so intrigued. Okay, where do we start? Let, let's start with the, the concept of uh, emotional fitness. And let's, let's go back just from a personal standpoint, where that comes from. For me, I come from a place where my first memory was a memory of fear, fear of everything. I was scared of my shadow. Uh, I was scared of losing my parents. I was scared of uh, dying. Wow. I remember, I remember being at a, at a friend's house. Uh, I was probably four years old, and uh, we were playing some, some game in, in his room. 
and uh, just like a little play date. And um, he was a year older than I was. And we were talking about death all of a sudden. We were talking about uh, maybe his grandparents dying or somebody dying. I don't know what it was that that brought up death. And then he he told me that everybody dies. And I didn't know this. And I remember coming home from that play date completely destroyed, having learned at the age of four that everybody dies and they never technically come back. And that just freaked me out. And this this fear uh, carried on into, uh, you know, crying every day when I went to school, uh, not daring to make friends, not wanting to go on a sleepover, not wanting to uh, be at a birthday party because the noise was too loud. I mean, you name it. I was scared of it all. This fear, though, changed into confidence and trust the moment I stepped on the competition floor in gymnastics. Because for the first time, I learned that by having a simple practice, a physical practice in this case, could translate into me navigating the world with some security. And that security being the control of my body and deploying that in a specific context that elicited, that produced an outcome that felt right. Not necessarily good, but felt right. And something that felt right for me was something that I rationally understood. I understood that doing gymnastics uh, required to follow a certain um, uh, uh, set of rules that were part of the game and the sport. And that when you did that, you could compare yourself to others and level up and then position yourself in a way that allowed you to determine where you were within your development. And it wasn't about um, going to war with the intention to harm, but rather going to battle, to contest with the intention of learning where you stood. Yeah. And this gave me a deep sense of security. And it was always there. The problem was that as I got older, uh, you go through school, you go through training, you start to uh, become more rational. Everything becomes mechanical and practical. Mm -hmm. There are techniques that you learn. There are methods that you follow. There are practices that you're supposed to adhere to, to uh, do the right thing, to achieve the right outcomes, to perform better. But I realized that along the way, I followed those methods. I achieved uh, a certain uh, level of outcomes that are supposed to feel right the same way it felt like when I was a kid doing gymnastics, but I never got that. I was always dissatisfied. And this dissatisfaction, quite frankly, was depressing. So what did I seek? I, I, I was seeking more. I wanted to grow more. I wanted to have more clients. I wanted to make more money. I wanted to access more people. I wanted to go more countries. I wanted to have more recognition. I wanted to have more, 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 more. And that more, more, more never gave me emotionally more. It just depleted me more and more and more. So I became a shell of myself. And there are pictures out there. If if you see me in probably 2015, 2014, I look like a complete mess. I I look, uh, with no offense to anybody struggling with... um, uh, uh, severe illness, but I looked like I was at the at the edge uh, of of my life and about to to die. I did not look healthy. I looked like a terminally ill patient at a hospital. And there was a picture of me taking a picture with somebody who attended my seminar. And they're basically I'm I'm in, in the middle and and they're kind of holding me up. I'm just kind of hanging there, and my legs look like two twit. I just look awful. And uh, my brother actually sent me a message and said, hey, are you okay? You, you, you look awful. And I realized that I was not okay. I simply was not okay. So I began to make a lot of changes, as I, I mentioned earlier, away from movement-specific coaching to this uh, notion of centering my coaching around the emotional fitness practices. And they were simply... Um, a practice of introspection, nothing new. Everybody do, does it to some degree, but the missing part here, and this is what I've realized, is that people haven't realized what their emotions are. 
And a lot of people say, keep your emotions out of it, just the same way as people say, keep your ego out of it. Your emotions are actually your fuel. Moreover, your emotions are the lens through which you see the world. Because your emotional state dictates the way that you're perceiving your reality. In fact, there are some amazing uh, people out there doing research on them, uh, on this. One of them being Lisa Feldman Barrett, who has written two great books. One of the books is called How Emotions Are Made, where her uh, theory, and she has a lot of evidence that points to this being true, is that we create our emotions in order to uh, physiologically prepare our bodies to act in the way that our brain has predicted. In other words, our brain, in addition to helping regulate our body, is predicting what's going to happen. Thus, assisting us in creating an emotion, and this emotion giving us an embodiment of the experience that is to come, and thus physiologically, internally preparing us to act in that moment. When you have uh, an emotional state that uh, is uh, consistent one day after the next, let's say you uh, tend to be a little bit more angry or a little bit more happy. (laughs) These are very vague, (laughs) okay, Uh, emotions. But let's say you are somebody who has a more positive outlook or or, or like a positive mood. You have a, a better feel to yourself or a more negative, heavy feel to yourself. That becomes your mood. And your mood is basically your emotional state over time. That's your general mood. But every moment of the day, you have a different affect. Your affect changes. And this is where there's, uh, it's important to realize that there's emotional variability. And this emotional variability, just like heart rate variability, which we could talk about, of course, but just like heart rate variability is a sign of health. Yeah. It's a sign of your ability to explore the spectrum of emotions. And those, those emotions that you're exploring are uh, influenced by your environment. When you become aware that your emotional state is influenced by your environment and that your emotional state is the lens through which you see the world, now you can tap into the user, which is you, working with the operating system, which is your Uh, your body's ability to physiologically regulate itself through the prediction of the brain and the brain sending signals, plus the emotional state, which is indicating your experience, you can make the changes. And those changes become like a little steering wheel, like a rudder that allows you to make adjustments to not only how you feel, but also how you think and thus how you're acting. And this is when you start to make change. And what is, hard to do is to realize that our programming, our conditioning, our habits are that which dictates the majority of our daily expression. Yeah. Thus, we are unaware of why and how we're doing certain things. And only in retrospect, meaning after we've done it, can we actually notice what we did yeah. And then decide to make changes or not. Thus, uh, we need to express ourselves. Wow. And this is stage one of emotional fitness. It's being able to simply realize that you're expressing yourself. And through that expression, it's happening within a container. And this container is your awareness, your consciousness, which is your, your state of being awake. When you notice what you do, now you can choose to interact with your actions, with your thinking, with your feelings in whatever way that you want. And this is where techniques come into play. This is where uh, uh, psychology comes into play. This is where you can start to analyze things. You can start to develop things. You can start to create. And this is where you enter a new stage that goes beyond expression, which is experimentation. And experimentation is choosing to deliberately work with different aspects of your expression of self. When you begin to work with different expressions of yourself that you feel are are the, the main components of your operating system, of your vehicle that you're driving, all of a sudden those experiments start to produce specific results. That feedback 
is telling you whether you are on course or not. And this is the challenging one because sometimes we think that what feels bad is us being off course. But in reality, it's actually the discomfort that we're seeking in order to be able to grow. The problem there is that we need to become aware. And this is now the next layer. And this is what I was experiencing when I was uh, trying to look for more and more and more and more is that this sense of dissatisfaction that you're feeling is simply an unmet need. And that unmet need needs to be identified. The moment it's identified, it can be one or, or multiple, of course. Now you can position yourself and direct yourself, at least look at it, position yourself in a way that you can move towards it. And the moment you have an unmet need, but you have a position and you can see it, that dissatisfaction now, although it remains there, it doesn't feel like depression. It doesn't feel like disempowerment. It feels like empowerment. You feel confident. You trust because you can see, I can see where I'm going. Now I can work on the solution. And that's the practice. And this is why I say that emotional performance-based coaching is key because it's the ability that one as a coach has to meet people where they are Mm -hmm. by identifying what is alive in them. What are they experiencing right now emotionally? What are they feeling? What story is in relationship to what they're feeling and what actions are coming out and could be coming out and thus us being able to collaborate. Wow. And that's where the definition of emotional fitness comes into play, which is my personal definition for emotional fitness. Other people have defined it uh, different, especially uh, those who are studying emotional intelligence specifically. But my um, definition of emotional fitness is the ability to uh, move into a state of being that translates into purposeful action. So first and foremost, it's a skill set. It's a skill set that allows you to change your state of mind, your state of body, your emotional state. And there are techniques for this. And we could talk about those in a little bit if you'd like. And specifically for what? Why do you want to change your state of being, your, your, your state of mind? Well, because in this moment... There is a specific purpose for your existence. When you understand that your emotional state in relationship to this specific context, this specific moment can be aligned. Now you can start to connect with this moment in a way that allows you to produce the best outcome. And that's performance in a nutshell. And it starts in our experience of what is right now. Thus, Becoming aware that we are aware is step one. Wow. Wow. I think I need a minute just to let that settle in. I'll take some coffee. Yeah, have a seat. Um, I'm reading a book at the minute, um, Adam Grant's Think Again. Mm. And uh, I'm at a chapter right now where he's talking about like emotional variability as well. And there was a really cool diagram in it of how important it actually is to have emotion in the hardest conversations. And it, it, it made me pause when I was reading it because I'm not sure about in America, but certainly here at the minute, I suppose in America as well, there's a big trend and popularity around stoicism. And the whole Ryan Holiday and people like that are really pushing it. And it's this removal of emotion almost and lots of rationality. And Adam posed in his book that that rationality only applies if you can completely remove yourself from the person. But as soon as you get into this kind of one-to-one position, especially in our roles as coaches, if you remove emotion, there's just a complete disconnect and there'll never be a good end result. Because if you just go down the rationality route, it's like if someone comes and says, I want to achieve X, Y, Z, you just go, here is the instructions, follow these 10 steps, do it religiously for 90 days and you will achieve X, Y, Z. But that's never the case. 
and it's it's funny that I've, I literally read this in the past two days and now you're saying the same thing here. Mm. And I yeah, got there's, bit, there's, that's it's great. It's a great observation. I, I'm curious. Keep, keep going. And I'll, I'll, it's, I'll it's just so funny point. because I got into stoicism. I was like, oh, this, this is, I suppose that anytime you, you start to think that oh, this is the answer, then you, you know that it's not the answer in reality. But I, I've started to have a mind sh- mindset shift around it because I would be quite an emotional person. Kind of like yourself, I was, I cried a lot as a kid. I cried going to school when I was young. Um, I cry watching movies. I've become so much more emotional since becoming a dad. It's just like <laughs> everything hits different now. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's never really been something that I've been ashamed of either. But almost until kind of in and around the pandemic and stuff where stoicism became super popular here. And then I kind of felt like I needed to be a bit more stiff and proper and it never sat right with me mm-hmm. but I, I love the way you think or you coach through that through that lens I think I'm not going to say it's the answer but it's definitely a step in the right direction for most people to have that emotional connection mm-hmm. I love it yeah powerful observation powerful observation well stoicism is very powerful because it it describes a level of collection yeah. of emotions that are not necessarily being um expressed through your body with uh without control yeah but emo- uh, stoicism still carries emotion mm-hmm in fact, it's it's based around emotion. It's based around realizing that emotion is like an ocean, right? And there's all these waves. And the emotions are bigger than us. Yeah. Thus, we need to learn how to ride those emotions. Mm-hmm. And when you learn how to ride and work with those emotions, all of a sudden, things become a little bit more interesting, a little bit more fun. But there's a technique for doing that. It's kind of like surfing. There's a technique for catching a wave, paddling, standing up, and then riding the wave. That technique requires a level of seriousness. Yeah. And that level of seriousness is what you're, you're, you're probably picking up on. You're like, oh, I need to be pretty stiff to be stoic. Yeah. So that's one thing. And I think it's important to realize that the, the Stoics were probably very emotional and very connected to their emotions. They just weren't succumbing to it. And they were exercising this discipline mm-hmm. that allowed them to uh, ride those big waves, especially uh, if you were somebody like Marcus Aurelius, uh, y- you were governing a large population. And if you're connected emotionally to that large population, you can imagine all of those emotions, that wow. collective emotions being funneled into you and through you. You needed to do a lot of work. And I believe that Marcus Aurelius actually was like prepared as a kid to do this. So yeah. um, there's something very powerful to, to be said about that. that. That comes from these old teachings. Something that's happening now in present day is that all the um, stoic writings that are out there are, are I think the majority, uh, if not all of them, are uh, coming from men. Yeah. And right now we are living in a time where the feminine energy, the feminine uh, way is becoming more relevant. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're working our way away from the patriarchy to the, matriarchy in other words we're working away from a fixed pattern that's where the word father comes from pater in in latin from the word pattern which is fixed to the word mother which is comes from matrix and matrix is like the womb it's the creative place that's what the chaos that we're experiencing right now in the world this is something that ray dalio talks about with the changing world order we're in a state of conflict because uh, the world orders are changing. It's chaotic. We're in a place of creativity. New things are being created. We're in the feminine side of things. So when we think about stoicism or we read about stoicism, it's important to realize that those patterns that are being described 
through Stoicism are wonderful. The question is, what are they creating? And if we can lean into the creativity that can come from those patterns, now we're going to be able to tune in a little bit more into those teachings without it taking away from who we are. And this is kind of like um, uh, thinking about your training or thinking about your practice. Uh, when you're starting to learn a new skill, a new movement, you work on the basics a lot. And that's all you do. And you break it down into the smallest pieces until it comes together. Eventually, what happens is that you don't have to dedicate all of your time doing the basics. You can build upon it. You have a foundation. We have a foundation. From an emotional standpoint, the Stoics had a great foundation. It's solid. The question is, what are we creating on top of it? And what we need to do is we just need to do enough to maintain the foundation. This is the constant polishing of the basics. This is why we warm up. This is why we do movement prep. This is why we, you know, uh, grease the groove, so to speak. But it's, that's, not the, that's not the point. The point is to create upon it. We need to continue to expand and not get caught. So you're, you're, I think your instinct that you had to be like, ooh, that stoicism is not sitting right with me yeah. is correct. But it's not one of, no, stoicism doesn't belong here. It's more like, what pattern is it teaching me? And how can I utilize it as a foundation to be even more emotional? Yeah. And when I am emotional, what does that really mean? Does that mean that I'm being reactive or I'm being responsive? Does it mean that I'm being reflexive or am I being deliberate through it? Through emotional fitness or through emotional intelligence, you can identify that and thus make changes. And it will be okay to be reactive sometimes because your reactivity is part of your instinct, part of your conditioning. And we need to learn how to trust our instincts. Yeah. Right now, most of us are confused. We're, we're, we're not instinctually aligned. There's a lack of coherence with our instincts. And especially uh, the masculine men uh, feel a little bit like, oh, shit, I can't say what I really am thinking because I don't have the words and the language. And I'm scared I'm going to say something that's going to offend people. Yeah. We, we fall into political correctness. Um, uh, we fall into social uh, reform, especially if you're a white male like myself. I'm, I'm a white man who has uh, a black daughter and a black grandson. It becomes fucking confusing. And, and, yeah. and at times I'm like, what am I allowed to say and do? Shit, am I yeah. even allowed to exist? <laughs> it's, 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 it's tricky. Yeah. And this happens also in fitness. It's like, how am I supposed to squat? Is it knees out? Is it knees forward? Is it knees in? Can I do both? Can I buckle? Yeah. Can I have a rounded back? Is that okay? Can I go hard? Should I go slow? How do I do this? What's the right technique? Don't worry about that right now. Trust your instincts. And this is where us becoming, and I know I'm running a monologue right now, but it's, this is where us becoming aware of how we are sensing our current reality is imperative to become uh, connected with. Because when you feel pain, it's telling you something. My suggestion is move away from pain. When you move away from pain, you're going to find something else. And that is called discomfort. It's kind of like when you're trying to kick a habit. It's causing pain. I'm going to move away from it. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop taking this thing. I'm going to stop doing this, whatever it may be. You're going to encounter discomfort. That discomfort is different than pain. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's different because it's causing no harm to you and no harm to others. It may be stressful. It may be confusing, but it's not causing harm. And this is where being able to uh, move through this world with an awareness of the violence that we're projecting constantly on ourselves and on others is key. And uh, if you think about squatting, for example, if you tend to squat with your uh, back, uh, a rounded back and you have back pain, maybe it's a good idea to move away from that and maybe go into a more neutral spine for whatever that's worth. And as you're squatting with a more neutral spine, realizing that it's harder for you to squat, maybe you're lacking a range of motion in your hips, and that's why you were rounding your back. Maybe you can't go as deep as you used to go, and now you're starting to feel some kind of frustration. Maybe you can't pick up as much weight. Maybe you can't move as fast. And this is where it's important to go back to where I started, my obsession, which is zooming out. 
<laughs> I follow this guy on on uh, on uh, YouTube that says, "When in doubt, zoom out." So zoom out, I love it. and then watch watch yourself squatting, and ask yourself which one looks better as an observer. The one where I'm rounding and I'm in pain or the one where I'm flat and I'm going maybe uh, a shorter range of motion and uh, lifting a little little lighter. Which one looks better? You're not going to de- be able to deny that one is aesthetically more appealing. And here's the beauty, that when you see what is beautiful, what is aesthetically appealing, what you're attracted to in, 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 a, in a physical manifestation, you'll realize that mechanically, anatomically, biomechanically, it's more sound. And when something is more sound biomechanically, anatomically, it also translates into improving your performance within a context. It actually matches the rules and standards and principles of a game or a sport. Yeah. And the last thing I'm going to say if you see something that is beautiful, that is mechanically sound and does not match the rules of a game or a sport, then you're creating a new one. And that's the time that we're living in right now. Yeah. And that's what was so excited about, exciting about CrossFit in 2007, 2008. We were creating a new way. Yeah, We've hit a tipping point. We have that basis. But now there is more. What is the more? You're creating it. You're responsible for it. Thus, it's your turn to become aware and take ownership. Wow. There's a lot in that. A lot. I like it. Um, trying to decide which route I want to go down here. There's a few, there's lots you said there. But for me personally, like whenever I was thinking about this call and I was thinking what I really wanted to talk to you about and why I want to talk to someone like you, one of the main things is actually around your creativity and your communication. You're someone that I've always looked at and still do. And I really admire the, the simplicity and the, conciseness that you're able to communicate stuff but there's still always a, a level of going he knows so much more than that song and then the way you can communicate it or even more recently like some of the the tiktoks and the instagram reels that you've done and there's just a a, a quirky fun exciting way that you've made it you did one there's one I loved you did last week, this week, the headstand video. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where there was just two of you. Yeah. And there's you talking and there's you doing the thing and coaching yourself. And it's just your your way of communication, it, I love. It, it resonates with me so, so, so well. And obviously a lot of other people do. And you mentioned in, you described it as a monologue. I just enjoyed listening to you. But you mentioned there about how important that communication is. Where did you learn your communication style? Is it just something that progressed over time? Were you educated in that manner? Where did it all come from? It goes back to sucking. <laughs> I, remember, I remember being uh, in university first year. I had to present. And I realized that my whole entire life, I hated speaking in front of people because I just was not good at it. And the reason I wasn't good at it, I realized later, is because I wasn't prepared. I didn't have enough knowledge. I didn't have enough understanding. And I had these moments where I had these out-of-body experiences where I was words were coming out, but I was like, what are you talking about? This is absolutely nuts. (laughs) I I still actually think that way right now because sometimes I go go off a tangent, but it, it didn't make sense. So what I what I started doing, and this was uh, deliberately in 2008 when I started teaching seminars, was I started started to simply describe what I was doing. I simply described how I was performing, and 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 that physical description allowed me to tap into. What is it that I'm thinking? Because everything that I'm thinking, I'm simply spewing out. You know, my, my wife um, uh, likes to say, you really don't keep anything in, do you? 
you <laughs> you, you, just, you can't shut up can you? and it's because i'm obsessed with identifying what are the things that are coming up and i if i mean anybody who's listening knows that when you're thinking i don't know if you if you hear a narrative or see see images but i i have both i have i have these images so for example as i was as, as i was speaking to you 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 give me like a seed a, a tree grows out of that that's what i see i see a tree that grows out of it and it has all these branches yeah. and i'm able to look at all those branches and work through every single idea that's there. And they're, they're just visually present for me. So I'm just describing what it is that I'm seeing and trying to uh, share it in whatever um, level of language uh, that I currently have, which right now is, is in English and I use certain words and hopefully they paint the picture for people. But when I'm, when I'm, if I listen to myself as I'm speaking, I sound completely nuts. <laughs> like I, I sound like a madman, but, but to me it makes sense. Yeah, and uh, many people have told me to hold back or not, not say so much, or just you know you don't have to explain such complicated things, especially if you don't have evidence for it. Uh, but I can't, I can't help myself because it's the way that I process uh, life. So that started in 2008 when I started coaching uh, larger groups. I started communicating in a way where I began with a question. And I allowed my questions to dictate the audience's questions. And they could um, vocalize their concerns, that which was alive in them. And then I would work from, from there. And that would be the seed. And I allowed whatever tree that grew out of that to uh, guide me. And this is if, if you've ever been to one of my seminars, you know that I start my seminars on a whiteboard. And I do this because I need to bring out the framework that is coming up for me as I'm interacting with you to have um, a blueprint, a foundation to fall back on for the rest of the day as I'm teaching. And what does that do? It simply... Uh, um, it ties everything back together. It creates a tight little package. And as long as I have a beginning and I have an end, everything in the middle, uh, as long as I can tie it back to that blueprint, uh, will make sense. And, yeah. and that which seems like a loose end, um, that's something that uh, you can polish, tie back up later, uh, people can ask questions on. It's what allows people to plug, plug in. So this has simply been me on my own. I haven't had any coaching on this. Uh, exploring, sharing that which is in my head, that which is coming up for me in a way that is relevant to others. And, um, and one of my biggest frustrations is sometimes uh, feeling like I can't, I can't connect the dots for people. And I feel frustrated because I, I think there's something that people need to see or would benefit from seeing. And I'm unable for whatever reason, to to uh, deliver that message, and and that's currently the work that I'm doing uh, yeah. with communication. I'm I'm trying to figure out how can I communicate in a way that is contextual and relevant to people, without succumbing to doing something that I don't want to do. For example, if I go on TikTok or on Instagram, there are ways of engaging your audience that unfortunately are gimmicky, and I'm just not, I'm just not interested. I don't like it. Yeah. It's not me. Yeah. It works, but I don't want to say that shit. Yeah. Thus, I'll wait until whoever's ready to listen to me the way that I am can receive that message. And some are. For example, you're giving me a chance to share here. That That's a big deal. And I share this uh, because that's what's alive in me. Mm. And it's not, oh, poor Carl doesn't want to play the game. It's not that it's I want to play the game. I just don't want to play that game. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. That's really interesting. You touched on that. Uh, and I, one of the guys I work with in the gym, um, Jose, he, we've worked together for like two, three months, but we've just hit it off instantly. We have a lot of similar common interests. And we were talking on a podcast on Friday. And we talked uh, a little bit about communication as well. And he's from Spain, 
he's lived in Ireland for 80 months and his his cadence with his words very 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 fast mm-hmm. and Irish people also talk fast and so we're <laughs> all having to slow down around each other but we were one of the things we really really care about is effective communication and we both have an interest in some of the work uh, Jordan Peterson does as well mm-hmm. and what you said made me think there and about something I've heard him say at a, a seminar or on a podcast and he talks about how the ideas in your head can't get refined unless you either talk about it or write it down mm-hmm. and it depends on the type of person that you are and that's obviously what you're and have been doing for a long time as well because if you don't talk about it you'll never get that idea out you'll never refine it you'll never be able to effectively coach to be able to effectively help people and it's crazy just some of the stuff that you said there sat and hit me so deep because I was like that's exactly some of the stuff that I feel as well it's if I don't say it how, how can I help people? How will people ever know? And yeah. if I say it and 200 people hear it, but only one person resonates with it, that's fine. Maybe it's not the right time for the message, but one person mm-hmm. it worked for. I think that's so, so important. I think that's what a lot of people are scared of these days too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super scary. And and there's a lot of shaming happening on social media. Yeah. People think they're helping, but in reality, they're shaming. And then people are asking for help, but the help that you're, you're giving them is not the help that they want. And it comes from a place of not knowing what exactly they need. Yeah. And this is uh, okay. So uh, I believe that anybody listening, listening here uh, enjoys having esoteric, ab- abstract conversations. Maybe it's, it's great to hear a little rant or a monologue or whatever, or how somebody thinks, but people are seeking for something practical, right? They're looking for a recipe. Yeah. And something that I talk about all the time, it's important to learn how to prepare different recipes with different ingredients so that when you have gone through a set number of recipes that you've learned how to put together uh, in a way that produces a meal that is nourishing, and this can be a fitness program, this can be an actual meal, this can be uh, developing a a product, a piece of technology, uh, writing a book, it can be anything, right? But learning how to put together these meals uh, through these recipes is key, not only for producing the recipe, the specific recipe itself, but learning how different ingredients work together. So when you go into your pantry at home, you're like, well, I don't have all the ingredients that that recipe that I'm craving has, but I have these other ones and I know that they pair well. Yeah. So I'm going to put them together and I'm going to create my own meal, my own recipe. Yeah. This is the individualized prescription. So for example, if you're a CrossFitter and you're doing Fran 2159 thruster pull-ups, maybe that universal prescription needs to be scaled, modified in a way that allows you to do that expression of Fran in a way that gives you the maximum benefit. That's what the coach is there to do, but that can only happen if there's a relationship. Thus, step one of a coach is to get people ramped up to a point where they have enough awareness, enough understanding of the movement practice so that they can collaborate with you in creating these unique recipes. Amazing. That's, that's number one. Number two, when communicating, we can use a simple structure. And this is something that I recommend anybody who's interested in learning about communication is to look up Marshall Rosenberg and nonviolent communication. Now that we're living through a time of, uh, of war that is very, um, very public, like the, the invasion of, of Russia and, into Ukraine, you'll notice that there's a lot of violence uh, being shared. And in a place where there's a lot of violence, you need to counter that with nonviolence. There needs to be a buffer. How do we do this in communication? Okay, so Marshall Rosenberg explains this very nicely. And the first thing you have to do in your communication is simply to express what you're seeing. Let's take this to the CrossFit gym. You have somebody squatting, you're the coach, that person who's squatting is squatting with their back very rounded and their neck cranked back and they look 
like they're having a hard time and it's probably not doing uh, for them what it could be doing. So you say, hey, Sally. Hey, Joe. I see that you're rounding your back and cranking your neck and it looks like it's straining pretty hard. So you first just state your observation. The second thing you do is you, um, you express how you feel about it. And what does this mean? This means you, you have to express that which is coming up for you emotionally in relationship to what you're observing. You know what? When I see you squatting like that, I feel pretty um, uh, discouraged. You can say you feel discouraged or, you know, it's pissing me off. You can say that or it saddens me. Or I feel hopeless. Or I'm concerned. I feel concerned. It doesn't look safe. So once you've expressed how you feel emotionally attached to your observation, now this is the most important one. You have to express your unmet need. And what does this mean? This means that when you have an emotion, it's signaling that there's something that you need. Remember, our emotion is that which we are signaling to the body to physiologically prepare ourselves to move towards getting a need met. Yeah. Right. So when you see that person squatting with their background and their neck cranked back and you feel whatever it is that you're feeling, discouraged, disappointed, scared, whatever. Now you say what your unmet need is. And maybe your your unmet need is I have a need to see you perform at a level where you are pain free. You're constantly improving and that you are achieving the goals that you said you wanted to achieve. Right. Your need is that you have a need to see them move towards that destination, a destination that you have shared as important as a standard. And that person has agreed on to want to pursue. And once you have stated what your unmet need is, now comes the fourth part of this uh, equation, the structure, the sentence structure. Which is explicitly and directly requesting a change in behavior joe sally chest up flat back chin in bar lower wrist straight feet flat feet wider whatever it may be and you give them that specific cue that's where the cue comes if you have done that expressed your observation stated how you are feeling emotionally about it expressing your unmet need and then giving them a um an explicit and direct change of behavior or a cue, now you have expressed yourself completely. That person can do whatever they want with it, but you have taken full ownership of what it is that you need. And when you model the behavior that you want to see in the world, other people start to do the same. And what's the boundary? The boundary is I will not move from this point until I have a reason or a new unmet need that tells me to change the boundary. When you have a boundary, when you have a fixed position, a position that is stable, secure, safe, people can now choose to move towards you, away from you, or against you. When you identify how they're choosing to move with you, So towards you, away from you or against you, now you have a relationship. And that relationship dictates the next step. But this is the approach of nonviolent communication. And this is something that Marshall Rosenberg has taught. And I highly encourage anybody who's a teacher or a parent or somebody who cares about communicating in a way that is conducive for growth to start to implement. And this is what I call interfacing We're interfacing with others. We're interfacing with the environment. We're interfacing with ourselves. The interface is the the piece of technology, that which we can work with that allows us to communicate back and forth. Wow. And so that ties into your current coaching. Amazing. Mm. Well, that book is being ordered tonight. Um, I actually heard you talk about that recently. You, You mentioned that on a podcast. 
Was it the Invictus podcast you mentioned uh, nonviolent communication as well? I think so. maybe I did. Uh, it's yeah. it's it's very relevant in yeah. in my day to day, and it's something that. I mean, my teachings are very simple. Yeah. It's, this is not rocket science. But it's complicated because it's emotional. Yeah. And emotions are subtle. Emotions are abstract. Emotions can feel violent. They can be chaotic. Yeah. But I encourage anybody listening, if you feel out of control right now, to just stop for a second and you'll see everything start to fall into place. This is why that quote that is so powerful, the, when things seem to be breaking, uh, falling apart, they're actually falling into place. Yeah. Is that chaos is self-organizing. Mm-hmm. L- let it just kind of fall down so you can see it. Let the dust settle. And this is where the practices of stillness, meditation, breath work, journaling, speaking come into play and notice that there's a different cadence for each one of those silencing completely still breath work subtle movement that regulates your physiology writing especially when you go pen to paper you can only write so fast and it's small movements it's not big movements small movements speaking bigger movements bigger emotions moving bigger So there's a cadence there. There's a pattern that you can follow. So you have to know where you fall within that progression. That's a ladder that exists. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love it. What inspires you at the minute? What who who do you look towards? What do you look towards? Do you read? Do you listen? Do you what what gets your gears going? Other than the people you work with, like external factors, maybe. Mm. I mean, right now, uh, if, if, if we were to uh, determine what I'm interested in through what I'm consuming, I guess I'm consuming uh, a lot of what other people are thinking. So, I mean, now that we have a war going on, what, yeah. what are people saying about a war? What is a general saying? What is somebody, a war veteran saying? What is somebody who is, is living in that country saying? Uh, today, I'm going to meet with somebody from Russia. Wow. And I'm going to ask. How do you feel being Russian with what, everything that is happening? What, what is it? And regardless of what their uh, point of view is, my, uh, my position is always to simply listen. Mm. Because I know that anything good or bad that I see, good being that which is uniting and peaceful, bad being that which is separating and that makes you feel neurotic and paranoid, no matter what I see, which is, whether it's good or bad, that is alive in me. Yeah. I have it in me to some degree. If I think that uh, Russia invading Ukraine is bad, which I think, (laughs) I I don't think, I almost know for certain, uh, knowing nothing about geopolitics, I also know that I have invaded other people's privacy, state of beings, through my uh, willingness to control or to feel some sort of sense of safety. Just that alone allows me to have compassionate empathy. Yeah. And this is not me now saying, yeah, I stand with Putin and I can see, I can empathetically connect with, no. <laughs> I have no, no interest yeah. in, in respecting somebody like that. But I can see that person, that figure, those actions for what they are, and now allow myself to take full responsibility of my life, that which is in my control, and hopefully make a better decision. Yeah. And I think that's the work. And this happens within fitness. This is what happens within our practice. This happens within our training. So if there's somebody here who's listening because they care about physical training, same thing happens with your training. Is your training one that is violent or nonviolent? Meaning, is it one that's causing you, giving you more benefits or is it actually harming you? If you're constantly injured, you have a violent training practice. How can you make it nonviolent? And this is difficult because if you're in CrossFit and you know that intensity is key, how do you do something intensely in a different way? How do you do something intensely that doesn't cause you harm but rather benefits you? You're going to have to change your approach. And this is where it's important to change intensity and shift it into intention. And then learn to prioritize your intentions. 
Maybe it's quality and mechanics first, speed second, load third, uh, range of motion fourth. It, it, it's, it's completely up to you. There's not a set order. You, you can create that order yourself, and it can vary. There, there should be variability in your intentions. Just the way, same way we have emotional variability versus heart rate variability, the same way there's variability in our days. This is the circadian rhythm which versus ultradian rhythms. This is our natural rhythms that we have to learn how to work with. And that's really powerful when you can, yeah. you can be in that place. And that inspires me to think about that. People like you inspire me. Just the, the, the fact that you want to connect with me to have some kind of discussion because you're curious or you're trying to grow something or you're trying to share something I'm like show me more i want to i want to hear what you're doing awesome yeah dude thank you so much i'm really conscious of your time here um i know you say you're not that busy but everyone says that and everyone's always busy um thank you so much for sharing uh i know you mentioned that you you felt like you went off on tangents but I appreciate you just expressing what's on your mind, depending on whatever I asked you. So thank you so, so much. Yeah, um, thank you. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? What can they do? Well, that's a good question. I guess uh, Instagram, TikTok, uh, if you just Google my name, you'll, you'll find me uh, online. And uh, yeah, uh, I always say that whoever wants to find me will find me. We're living in the, <laughs> the time of the internet. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Carl, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate every, every second uh, that you've given me here.